All right, that was kind of the sermon in a video. I could just close right now and we could, no. <laughs> We're gonna walk through this passage that uh, talks about being pr joyful, prayerful, and thankful. I'd like to uh, have you turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 and keep your Bibles open to this passage. We're gonna be looking at verses 16 to 28. We'll finish our study in 1 Thessalonians this morning, and then just so you know where we're headed, uh, next week we're going to be starting a new sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. And we'll uh, take a look at those early chapters as kind of an Advent series, if you will. Now, those early chapters that deal with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, and then the arrival, the coming of the Messiah, the King. So uh, looking forward to that as well. But today, let me read for us 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 28 as we begin. Paul writes, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil, and may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of our study in Thessalonians, we pray that you would once again guide us as we walk through your word. Thank you for the truth that it contains, the power that is in your word, the encouragement that we receive as we hear it and choose to live by it. And Father, I thank you for this great blessing that comes in this text too, that you are the faithful God who watches over us and you will continue the work that you have begun in each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When someone goes into the doctor for a checkup or an annual exam, there are certain things that that doctor is going to check when you are in there. Or the nurse may take some of these uh, things as well. They're going to check your blood pressure and pulse. If you're uh, younger uh, with children, they often measure your height and weight. Uh, sometimes as you're older, it's just that weight that they're checking. And then they'll listen to your heart and lungs and make sure that everything is clear and running properly, and if there are any concerns that you have, they're going to do more tests. And I think about that often. I think about what would we use in a spiritual exam? If you were to come in and you were going to have a spiritual checkup, how would you measure someone's spiritual health? Well, you know, I was thinking about that and thinking that we'd really look at some of the same things, in a sense, we would check your head, your heart, and your hands. And what I mean by that is when we talk about our head, I'm thinking about our beliefs. Sometimes people get in trouble in the Christian life because they have poor theology. Or they just don't know the Word of God and how to apply it to life. 
what we believe really is important because that's going to affect the way that we live. And you check someone's heart in terms of patience, kindness, attitudes. Do they demonstrate the love of God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life? And do you see that in the way that a person lives? And if not, what is hindering that? Is there some sin that's in the way? Is there something that's blocking the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life? And you'd look at their hands, their behaviors, their actions. Do they really live what they say they believe? And can you see that in their life in terms of this change that's taken place? And do you see kindness? Do you see service? Do you see generosity in the way that a person lives? Well, the passage that we're going to look at today would be a good place to start for that kind of spiritual checkup. Uh, we last week talked about these vital signs for a healthy church, and Paul continues that in the rest of this passage that we're looking at this morning. But these things aren't just for a church as a whole to practice. They really are the signs of a healthy spiritual life for each of us as Christians. And so let's take a look and think about what these things are saying here today. The first thing that Paul calls attention to is that we should have a joyful heart. And we see that in verses 16 to 18. In bullet point fashion, Paul lists these three qualities that should be present in our church and in our personal life. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Let's take a look at each one. When he says be joyful always, joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is more dependent upon our circumstances. For example, if you're an avid football fan and your team wins, you probably feel good after the game. If they lose, you may be a little bit bummed. Uh, and it's like that when we look at different things in our life that affect our happiness, our circumstances. What we, what we see in the scripture is that joy is deeper it's more abiding. It's not affected by circumstances because joy comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that can be present at all times, this underlying joy, knowing that our life is in God's hands, knowing that he is watching over us and caring for us, just like that video we saw, that even in the tough times of life, God is there. When you look in G at Jesus, you see in his life that he wasn't always happy, but he was always full of joy. I mean, when he threw out the money changers in the temple, he was angry over what was going on. When he met with the Pharisees and he saw how restrictive they were or how their heart was so far from God, that disappointed him. He wanted people to know his Father in heaven. He wanted people to come into a relationship with himself. He wasn't always happy, but he was joyful. And to the disciples in John 15, 11, he would say, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus wants us to experience fullness of joy in our relationship with him. And what makes Christian joy unique is that it shines brightest under the most adverse circumstances. I think about the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter of Philippians when he was in prison. And that letter, that epistle, is an epistle of joy. 
And in that letter, he will say to the Philippians the same thing that he says here, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And don't be anxious about the things going on in your life, but pray, bring those requests to God. And when you do that, do that with thanksgiving in your heart. The same pattern we see here. We also see it in Jesus, who in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. He knew what awaited him as he returned to his heavenly Father, but he also knew the suffering that he would go through when he would die on the cross. And it was that joy that sustained him. And you and I probably can think of believers that we have known who have gone through hardships, loss, who have experienced difficult circumstances in their life, maybe a job loss or financial loss, or maybe it's an illness that they are dealing with. And yet you see in them the joy of the Lord because of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. And here were believers experiencing persecution, suffering for their faith. And yet Paul is saying, be joyful always. Pray continually. Those two things are related. It's pretty hard to be joyful if we're not a people of prayer who are putting our trust in God. And when he says pray continually, it doesn't mean that that's all that we do. 24 hours a day, we're on our knees praying. He's not saying that at all. But he is saying that we should be talking with God throughout the day. Whatever we are doing, we're having this conversation with God. That this is the Christian's heartbeat. Our thoughts are never very far from God, and we find ourselves turning to Him throughout the day. When we get up in the morning, we start our day, and we thank God for this new day that He has given us. We ask Him to fill us with His Spirit or work in us today, or Lord, help me to be responsive to the opportunities that come my way this day. Help me to serve You. And we think about it at mealtimes when we are taking our daily bread and we give him thanks for his provision. We do it when we're driving in the car down the road and we're thinking about people in our life and we're praying for them. We do it at the close of our day and we thank God for another good day that we have had with him. We give thanks to God and we pray. And you see how all of these things are connected. Joy, prayer, and being thankful. So how do we learn to do that? How do we learn to pray continually and to bring to God these requests that we have? Well, you know, we, it's something that we learn by practice. I think of prayer in this way, that there are kind of two different times when you may pray. There are those set times of prayer that you may use a journal or maybe you have a list of prayer requests that you want to bring before the Lord. Maybe you use prayer cards that remind you to pray for certain things. And it is good to have that time when we connect with God and pray. But the other type of prayer is this ongoing prayer. It's this communion that we have with God, this fellowship that we enjoy. And it's just like you're mindful that he is there all the time and you can turn to him and talk to him. We also learn to pray by praying with others. Before the election this year, we invited you to come and join in a time of prayer and many of you did that here at the church. And there was one young couple who came and they were in the small group that I was part of and they just 
said, you know, we've never done this before. Not really sure how to do this. How do you pray in a corporate prayer? And I said, you know, man, that's, that's great to have you here. And you can just listen. You can read one of the requests that are on the sheet if you just like to read it as is and pray, or if you want to put this in your own words, you can pray. And as they listened and heard the others praying in the group, then they felt comfortable to jump in and join in prayer. That's how we learn. That's how I learned to pray, by praying with others. And thirdly, Paul says that we should give thanks in all circumstances. A grateful heart is one of the marks of a genuine believer. Giving thanks in all circumstances doesn't mean that we are happy for everything. We're not necessarily happy for those trials that come into our life or for the losses we experience. But it does mean that we trust God. I mean, part of giving thanks is saying, God, I don't understand maybe what you're doing right now in my life, but I trust you. And I thank you for what you're doing. We trust in his sovereignty and his goodness. We believe Romans 8.28 that God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we believe that, and that becomes this bedrock conviction. God, I may not understand what you are doing right now, but I trust you that you are going to use this for good, and I give you thanks. That can be a difficult thing to learn, but it is one where we see God work in amazing ways. In the book, The Hiding Place, Corey Tenboom told this story about an incident that taught her this principle. She and her sister Betsy had just been transferred to the worst German prison camp to date, Ravensbrück. And upon entering the barracks, they found that they were extremely overcrowded and they were flea-infested. Can you imagine that? Being forced to live in these circumstances in crowded conditions, and you get in there and you find out that there are fleas in this filthy barracks. Well, the scripture reading that morning for them was 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And Betsy told Corey that we needed to stop and thank the Lord for every detail of our new living quarters. And Corey didn't want to do that. She at first kind of flatly refused, and Betsy urged her and said, we need to do this. And so she finally joined her sister in prayer. And during the months that followed at the camp, they were surprised to find how openly they could hold Bible study and prayer meetings in their barracks. And it wasn't until much later that they learned that the guards would not enter the barracks because of the fleas. When Paul writes, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, it applies to all three instructions here. It is God's will that we would be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. The second quality that we would look at is that of a discerning mind. And here Paul writes how important this is for the believers at that time in Thessalonica as well as it is for us. And we see that in verses 19 to 22. There are five instructions that he gives here that apply to worship. 
but they are also important for our personal spiritual life. And I want you to think about worship back then and then today. Worship in the early church was similar to what we do today in some ways, but it was also different from what we do today. It was similar in that they met for worship. They sang songs of praise to God. The Psalms were their hymn book. They met for prayer. They met for fellowship. They would observe communion together. And they would listen to the word of God that was taught. And Paul comes along and he says to them in these commands, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. And so here they are. They're meeting for worship. But it was different for them in this regard. I mean, they had these similarities that we share in common, the same elements that are part of that worship service. But it was different in that they met in house churches where we meet in larger gatherings. Some today still do meet in house churches, especially in China or Asia or parts of the world like that. But the main difference between their worship and ours was this, that the New Testament was not yet completed. When they came together, they did not have the scriptures that we do. It was still being written at that time. And so people were dependent upon traveling evangelists and prophets and itinerant preachers to come in and to share with them the word of God. They were dependent upon these letters like what Paul wrote here. And that's why he'll urge them to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters or why they would circulate these letters to neighboring churches. They needed to know the word of God. So when these prophets came, when these traveling preachers came, how would you know that the message that they were sharing was true, that it really was a word from God? I mean, there was a danger of false prophets coming into the churches as well, and they needed discernment. Remember Paul's letter to the Galatians when he's just shaking his head and he says to them very strongly, who is this that has bewitched you? I mean, how have you so quickly turned from the gospel to think that now you can be saved by works? Don't you understand what we shared with you? And he really is strongly exhorting them to exercise discernment. How do you know whether someone is true or false? Well, Paul didn't want them to overreact and quench the Spirit. He didn't at that time want them to ban all prophecy, but he also didn't want them to be foolish and welcome everyone. They needed to listen to the Spirit and be wise. And that's why he gave these instructions to test everything. Does their teaching agree with the message that you heard from the apostles? Does their teaching agree with the gospel? Does it glorify Jesus Christ? Does it speak of his death as the means of atonement for our sin? Do they glorify God in their teaching? Or are these guys simply out for money? Are they doing it for themselves? They're trying to scam you or to take advantage of you. They needed to test everything. Hold to the good, avoid every kind of evil. It was a very practical word that was given here. Well, what about us? 
We have the whole Bible. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament, but we still need discernment. When you listen to a sermon, I mean, you need to exercise discernment. Discernment. I hope that through the years you've come to feel that I can be trusted in what I share. But boy, if there's anything that I say that's not true to God's word, I want to know it too so that I can be corrected as well. We need discernment when we listen to maybe a a DVD in a Sunday school class, when you read a Christian book, when you listen to a radio or television preacher, even when you listen to Christian music. We need discernment. And I'm not saying that we should be hypercritical, because that's a problem. If you go too far the other way, then people become very unteachable. They don't want to learn from anybody else, and we can kind of become prideful and think we've got it all straight and everybody else is messed up. Now, that's not good either. So we need to be teachable, but we need to know the Word of God. And if you have a question about something, or if you're listening to something and it doesn't sound quite right, you know, that's probably the Holy Spirit working in your heart to raise a red flag. And that's what we need. We need that kind of discernment. Several years ago, there was a movement that encouraged people to wear a WWJD wristband. What would Jesus do? And that was a good thing to encourage people to think about how would Jesus want you to respond or what would he want you to do in these circumstances of your life. But here's the question I have. What difference will that make if we don't know what Jesus said? I mean, if it's just wearing a wristband and you really don't know what Jesus said in his word, then are you really doing what he would say, or is it just kind of affirming what you think is right? We need to know the Word of God. We need to be a people that are sensitive to both the Spirit and the Word, trusting God to lead us, but checking everything by the truth of what God has written. And then thirdly, we see the need for a confident faith. And this is where Paul brings this letter to a conclusion and he ends with this wonderful benediction that he has here. A benediction is a prayer of blessing. And in this case, what Paul is doing is he's bringing together many of the things that he has talked about in this letter. He's talked about sanctification, the need for personal holiness and purity. He's talked about the coming of the Lord and how we need to be ready for that and watching and waiting for his return. And he pulls these themes together in this blessing that he prays for the Thessalonians. This is our future. This is our great hope. And he reminds them that the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You know, I love these prayers that are given here and these benedictions. It's one of the reasons why I like to close our services with a benediction, to pray God's word over you. Because these are the things that give us confidence and hope. You know, hearing this prayer that the one who calls us is faithful and he will do it, that doesn't excuse us from joining with him in his work. You know, this is not an excuse to say, okay, I can relax and just kind of, you know, let go and and God's going to do it all. 
No, we still need to do our part. We stay in the fight. We're in this fight against sin. We are here to glorify God. We make it our aim to please Him. But verses like this give us confidence and hope that it is possible because God is at work in us. We have hope because the God who called us to himself will never give up on us. He is faithful and he will complete what he has begun. And that's why we need to be reminded of these promises over and over again. God is for you. And God will continue to make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, as you walk with him. You know, this fall, many of you watched the World Series that took place between the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians. And I ran across this story about Ben Zobrist, who was the second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. And Ben's, uh, you know, been playing baseball all his life, and when he was trying to get in the majors, you know, he bounced around a bit like a lot of players do. They spend some time in the minors and then may go from club to club before they really land and come into their own. And it's been quite a ride for Ben Zobrist. In 2015, he was traded mid-year to the Kansas City Royals, and he ended up playing second base for them. And as you know, they won the World Series in 2015. And then in 2016, he signed with the Chicago Cubs. And he's played well all year. And in this last World Series, he was named the MVP. He drove in the winning run in Game 7 in the top of the 10th inning. He was the guy who brought that winning run home. Well, Ben is a Christian. His dad is the senior pastor at Liberty Bible Church in, Evans, in, excuse me, in Eureka, Illinois. And Ben was talking with a, in an interview, and this uh, announcer was asking him this question. He said, Ben, you played well. You got promoted fairly quickly. But baseball is fundamentally a failure game. I mean, even the best hitters only get a hit three out of every ten times. How do you handle that? And he said, it's funny. I listen to the interviews after people win the Super Bowl or World Series and stuff like that, and... Sometimes I'm like, we're missing it. If we are believers and we're telling people, look, you work hard and you do it as unto the Lord and he's going to bless you and you're going to be successful, that's not what this life is about. I hear people using Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's like their pump-up verse. It's going to allow them to do things on the field that they've never done before. But when you really look at that passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, I can even do jail. I can do misery. I can do weakness through Christ who strengthens me. And he said, for me, I have to realize if that's the truth, that when I fail, I need to give God glory just as much as when I succeed. And if through that, people can see that my hope is not in my success or failure, it's in him, then so be it. Let that be for God's glory. It's a pretty wise comment that our hope is in God. Whether we win or lose, we will trust him and we will glorify him 
and we will give him our thanks and praise. So, how's your spiritual health today? When you look at these indicators, would you say that in your life you're joyful, you're prayerful, you're thankful? Is that the pattern of your life and even the pattern of your day? Are you listening to the Word and to the Spirit? Are you digging into the Scriptures? Are you taking the time that you need to really be in the Word, to put aside the other things and the distractions, and spend time with the Lord? Are you growing in wisdom and discernment? And those things are connected. Because it's only as we're growing in the Word that we're going to grow in wisdom and discernment. And do you believe that God will do what He has promised? Is this truth your confidence and hope that Jesus is coming again and that when that day comes, you will stand before him with joy in your heart and you are confident the one who has begun this good work in you will continue to perfect it until that great day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. What a joy it is to know it, to hear these promises that you have given to us and to know the confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessings that come when we walk with you in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that as we think about these qualities of being joyful and prayerful and thankful, that they would be true of us year-round not just at a time of the year when we think about thanksgiving, but they would be the qualities that would mark our life. And Lord, then help us to grow in our knowledge of your word so that we might be wise and discerning, that we might have an answer for the hope that we have, that we be able to speak your words to others with power and authority. Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you will do it as we continue to walk with you. Amen.